John, you know, the hard thing about cooperative games is that there's so many good ones. This is a problem when you're trying to make a top list. I'm going to have to disagree and say the problem with cooperative games is that everybody else is worse at them than me. <laughs> and I want to take their turns for them inherently. Yeah, well, I, I guess... And they we, don't want to listen to me expound on why we should have looked at all the different angles. Right. Well, you know, we're coming here to have our, like, absolutely irrefutable, definitive, totally objective, scientifically yeah. researched yeah. top ten with our respective fives of cooperative games. We ran it through the machine. Exactly. The like, lights lit up and the ticker tape came out and it's got the answers. Yep. And it counts even when there are cooperative games that we've never played before. They don't count. The machine factored it in there. Exactly. So with cooperative games, I was actually thinking about this when I was building the list, is unlike the area control list that we did Area control to me has, it's a more defined mechanic and I can think of like implementations of area control in different categories of things I want to capture. But with cooperative games, there are so many different types of cooperative games out there that like even nailing it down to like my five favorite was very difficult, especially when you're trying to get into like do I want to have five representations of different types that I like and the best of those, or do I want to have the five that I most often want to play? So once again, we're into this kind of squishy territory. And you are, you are, if nothing, if not a squishy person, I am um, the squishiest, which is, which is why you like co-op so much. And, and arguably I may be less qualified because I do tend to like the competitive at your throat kind of games. Um, but there, so there is something to be said for if, if it's a cooperative game I like, it's, it's going to be competitive. I'm going to have to feel like I'm competing with the game. Right. Um, but, but what you said about the, the, as far as the category, if someone were to make sort of a biological, like genus (laughs) species of board game kind of thing, I think, I think the, the, um, Area control is a trait of board games, whereas right. cooperative is like a whole species, you know, it's because it's either cooperative or competitive and then competitive can break down further into who's competing against what teams, whatever. But cooperative is like, well, that, that's its whole, I mean, that's a huge body of what it could be mechanically. So we're going to have to have like a whole like scientific classification set I, for that's board our next games project and is game. to do yeah. the, the little genus exactly. species like uh, kings play chess on fine grains. Okay, so bring up my like biology <laughs> textbook from college or something. Okay, so let's actually talk about like what counts and what doesn't count here. I don't think we need like a specific definition of a cooperative game. That's more universally understood. But as far as for our list, like what is cooperative versus like a game that may have cooperative elements that we're not including we have decided to keep it i mean if this is even still narrow i mean it's still such a broad field but we're talking pure cooperative we're not talking uh one versus many where you know or any sort of team game where you cooperate with players but not all players and we're not talking about semi-cooperative where at the end of the day maybe you you don't want some overarching goal to succeed like dead a winner you want the colony to survive but then you win individually no this is pure cooperative where everybody wins or loses together uh the the only one that i ended up like breaking away even though it's uh you win together or you lose together is the the purely narrative like mystery adventure type of thing those are i guess honorable mentions for cooperative games 
ish in so far as their game. So, uh, you know, uh, the Sherlock Holmes consulting detective, I know you're a huge fan of. For me, Tale of Ord and the, the Emerald Flame by uh, Post Curious are excellent games, but those weren't really in the spirit of this list. Right. So This is something that has a mechanical presence on a board or on a, on a whatever playing surface on the table. Right. Pieces. Exactly. Parts. So, with all that said, where are we starting with year five? So, so I did. I took the same kind of, especially with a broad topic like this. I took the same kind of approach um, as I did with area control and said, you know what? I'm not going to pick the ones that are maybe my five favorite. I'm going to pick my favorite from within sort of the main groups of cooperatives. So, is that a notebook? This is my notebook. Oh man, you came prepared this time. There were so many honorable mentions in this one because surprisingly, I think I have found that to me, cooperative ten years ago. Honestly, it was still a newer thing. I mean, cooperative. Right. Yeah, 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 totally. Someone do a history report on board gaming. When was the first cooperative gaming? The first one I played was Forbidden Island. Yeah, that I, was you and I broke that one out. Well, this is actually something I'm pretty qualified to answer. I don't, I don't think that I have the definitive answer of what is the full progenitor of all cooperative games. The card game war. War is not cooperative. Absolutely, because we are both working together to make sure we don't have any fun. One hundred percent. I was thinking about that since like minute one. Roll back, and you can see when I thought of it. Like I was like, I'm gonna say something later. It's gonna zing. Interestingly, uh, I have uh, had interviews uh, here. I'm going to do some name drops uh, with Reinhard Knizia, Bruno Catala, and Matt Leacock. Uh, and both uh, Bruno Catala, who was co-designer on Shadows Over Camelot, uh, one of the first like trader mechanisms. Semi-co-op. Semi-co-op. Uh, and also uh, Matt Leacock, who of course is the designer on Pandemic, both of them directly cited the Lord of the Rings game by mm. Reinar Knizia as the first cooperative game that they'd played. And as far as I know, that's the first like major fully cooperative game in the hobby game space wow and that is a good one to be the first i mean if we're gonna super nerd here a lord of the rings game a fellowship I mean, that's the perfect starter for co-op for yep. me it was leacock's forbidden island yep they have evolved a lot in the last five years or so totally. i feel like 10 years ago it was pandemic and forbidden island and those kinds of things and those are still good but there's a lot of quarterbacking, which is what I was getting at. You know, if I feel like, you know, maybe the skill levels aren't even, there's going to be a lot of pushy players saying, no, you should do this. Why are you doing that? And you either have to house rule around that or, you know, it's just not as enjoyable for everybody. So for me, in that in that genre, Flashpoint, Fire Rescue, it is very pandemic-y action selection. But the theme is is probably one of the best, like, what is more cooperative than a group of guys or, or, or women running into a building to save people from a fire? Uh, what about saving the world from a global pandemic? Uh, yeah, but it's so abstract. You're just okay. removing cubes. I don't know that a global pandemic is a very abstract it's concept. It's less abstract right, <laughs> right now. I can definitely see how maybe that, that is more relevant. Um, but I just felt like it was a very tangible theme. The threat was real. You know, right. you're, you're going in and you're risking your pieces and you're risking the board itself from, from collapsing. Um, the asymmetric powers felt a little more asymmetric than maybe pandemic. I mean, it's still of that sort of older club of games that some of my other ones will, will vastly elaborate on. Um, but of that older genre of action selection, I think flashpoint, the number five pick that I have 
is a more recent game, which I was surprised by how many more recent games uh, were right. on this list. Uh, and that is Journeys in Middle-Earth, the Lord of the Rings game that uh, just came out last year. Now, this is kind of like Fantasy Flight's evolution of uh, some of their adventure game type of stuff. So it's kind of in the vein of the Eldritch Horrors of the world uh, or the, the Arkham Horrors. Uh, that type of thing. They had a macro wit- levels. Yeah. Is how you describe it. Macro level adventure. Exactly. So it's not a dungeon crawl by any means, uh, but you do have characters that are moving about regions on the board and doing adventuresome stuff. Now this one is uh, fully dependent on an app, so that's going to be a turnoff for a lot of people. But I really enjoyed it. I'm a huge Lord of the Rings fan, and so the theme was a big part of it to me. Uh, I overall liked the the writing. I wasn't too hypercritical of this isn't the professor's writing it's not up to snuff um and i thought that the uh system for the the powers and the the cards that you play and being both the text and the symbols for success or partial success or failure uh, was just a really cool system i i had a ton of fun with it i played through both of the campaigns that were available at the time and now there's another campaign which i'm looking forward to checking out right, i liked it when i played you know for some reason that one did just didn't grab me quite as strongly as it did for you and i, I think that's maybe because i'm the macro level i always think of it like this is what indiana jones is doing when it zooms out to the map as it's moving across right, the board. right 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 those are fun but maybe not as engaging to me as one of the ones on my list which could arguably be considered the progenitor of, of journeys too, uh, which is descent road to legend. Um, and I think I got to call out fantasy flight for adapting its games and its, its business model for, um, I'm a big fan, honestly, of how they, how they will have an idea for an existing game. They will implement it with that game. And then you can see that the games, and I, I don't know maybe which chicken egg comes first here, but then their, their games later on down the line will fully integrate that system from day one. So, you know, implementing apps and games, you know, things like Mansions of Madness, second right, edition, right. you know, uh, when they rolled that out for Descent, it breathed new life into a game that One versus Many was not, I mean, I loved it before, but One versus Many is a hard sell for some people. Fully co-op, though, that game shines, and I cannot wait for the sneakily released third edition, Yeah, you know, yeah, news. Tease. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, where's the rest of my news? I'm dying for it. Um, but but I fully expect that they all will go full co-op app-driven because that's where their games in that genre have been moving. But I like that zoomed-in um, individual heroes on a board, individual powers, logistics moving around the board kind of thing. But still very much a co-op experience so that we all share in the thrill of, of the adventure and no one goes home feeling like either you know they were the DM or they had fun and ruined four other people's day. <laughs> right, right, right. And I'm starting to see that we're, we're having quite a few potential entries that are going to be campaign related on this list. Uh, we'll, we'll see how it all bears out here. But my number four uh, favorite cooperative game was Pandemic Legacy. And this is interesting. Le- Legacy Season 1, and I said it, it was uh, one of my favorites because it's an experience that even though I played through it twice, so I, I have had the ability to replay it. I, I won't be able to recapture the first time in playing that. You know, even though Pandemic Legacy isn't the first legacy game, 
it's the the thing that proved that legacy is best suited to a cooperative game and it's an interesting point yeah every time that i've played a legacy game that's been competitive since then it always presents problems for runaway leaders not just within the context of a single game but for a whole campaign that you're playing which could be a really bad time for someone who's like i know at this point that it is very unlikely for me to win that is that is actually a very interesting point i wouldn't have thought of that on the surface but i would agree wholeheartedly that it it legacy should be cooperative unless you can come up with a clever balancing it's like the skirmish game comment you know that that we made in one of our earlier reviews um was that uh how do you balance rewarding one player for winning that doesn't just make them win more exactly it's the game that made legacy come to life and i think has still been the most accessible and easily recommendable uh legacy game that i've played um and so i gotta put it on the list I have no direct lead-in from that. So you know something that's not Legacy? I, what is it? Magic Maze. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so 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 let's let's uh, we've done campaign and we've talked about the action selection. Let's talk about something that is uh, very offbeat compared to the you know the Lord of the Rings game and the and the the early Forbidden Island and Pandemic games. You know, systematic count the turns, math it out hard, and watches the game just destroys every plan you had because exactly you get double epidemics or whatever. Live action games can be hard to do competitively, but can be amazing cooperatively because if you goof a rule, it's much easier to forgive because no one's beating someone because they, oops, I dropped a thing and I picked it up real quick. Totally, totally. So there's a couple call-outs. I gotta say, if you've, if you've ever played uh, Project Elite, mm-hmm. uh, Escape, Curse of the Temple, the XCOM game, um, those are all live-action cooperative experiences. Um, and what I love about that is it takes simple decisions that in a game where you were taking your time might not be that rich. Mm-hmm. And it puts pressure on you to make them quickly and well. Absolutely. Um, but what's cool about what sets Magic Maze to me apart from those other ones is the novelty of something we actually did uh, when we got too good at Forbidden Island like a decade ago. <laughs> exactly. And we didn't have another cooperative is we started playing that game silently with a third pawn. We'd play with two players and we'd have a third pawn and we would silently play it and alternate who controlled the third pawn so we had to guess when the other person was moving towards one end of the island or another we had to anticipate well what strategy do they think they're doing because i need to further that and magic mace takes that to the nth degree you've got four pieces and you don't control any of them directly you get to move one direction or two directions or two directions in a search so it's it's very much nonverbal. It's very much anticipating what other people's strategies to accomplish a goal are, right. all while happening live action. So the amount of times we have to be like, you know, and my kid loves that game. You know, it's it's simple enough, but rich enough that anybody can enjoy it. And you'll be shouting at the person who is slamming on the table. They're <laughs> desperately slamming on the table, trying to get your attention for something with that like red indicator pawn, like you need to see something, but they can't tell you what. So all they do is make a ton of noise and you got to tell them, knock it off. I get it. You want something. I don't know what it is. Well, speaking of nonverbal, uh, to bring it to my number three here is The Grizzled. And this is a game that I've fell in love with uh because i'm tappy and squishy and we've discussed that on this show uh innumerable times at this point for the limited run of episodes that we have but i i'm a total sap and that this is a game that 
uh, is focused uh, on World War One, and the thematic thrust of the game is not that you're going to be combating all of the enemies in World War One. It's about a group of friends that have signed up together and they are just trying to see each other through to the end of the war. And so it's about uh, dealing with trauma and uh, having to deal with all of the different challenges in war and supporting your friends throughout it. And on top of that, it's an extremely difficult small box game in which you have these these horrible cards in your hand that are like abstract representations like the, of the, mustard gas. It's and the stuff. everything awfuls game for for such a, a simple game drives home the mechanic or the uh, the theme really well. I mean, absolutely, it feels desolate. Right, and, and so you're just taking turns playing these cards from your hand, and you're just hoping, please let the the next player be able to do something about this and it's just a great balancing act the the artwork by team Yu, who is a fantastic uh artist which if you look into all the like charlie hebdo shootings and everything like that's a tragic story in and of itself but uh the, this is a, a glorious game uh it's very small plays really easily the expansion takes it from being good to being excellent uh, giving you these missions that the leader is going to have to make hard decisions and kind of take responsibility for the group of, you know, I know what the alternative is, so we're going to this bad mission here. Um, I, I really fell in love with that game. It is one of my favorite cooperative games, one of my favorite thematic games. I wasn't in, you know, I played it with you and I wasn't inspired to add it to my collection, maybe just because I didn't have that much room for more or more cooperative games at the time. But I gotta say, like, it does a good job of delivering a lot on its premise and just feeling like, you know, it's a hard game too, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and, and yet, there's some hard games that I hold a grudge against, and I will mention that... Uh, a dishonorable mention is for me like ghost stories yeah um, punishing i had to, I, I i disliked it so intense and i know people like that one or some people do who just have self-loathing and and like <laughs> abuse themselves but it was so punishing and and randomly so that a dice roll would make me lose the game and yet you know this game could be just as punishing in some ways and yet you feel like you go through it together um, you have moments where you take responsibility or, or you feel bad bowing out of a round because your friends are shouldering the burden. And it does so much with so little mechanically to deliver this feeling of we're in it together that I forgive it being hard because if we die and we or we lose the game, you know, we, we went through something together on that one. And I kind of feel like, man, we just, that happened. Whew. And we all just kind of look around and go like, oh, God. Yeah, whew. okay. I watch a Care Bear movie. I need to feel good about myself or something. Like that was dark. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Exactly. Yeah. So, where does that bring us to on your number two? Um, I think we're we're back to um just sort of non traditional for me, which is um uh, non traditional in the sense that it's not pure mechanics and pure like number crunching to see who can math it out the hardest and solve this puzzle that is a co op game. It's uh it's Mysterium which okay okay I, you know i don't think it's seen and there's probably you know i want to say that uh, on the on the edge of my awareness i think there's been one or two games that have kind of tickled some of these themes of um or some of these mechanics of like 
Did doing a cooperative with alternative communication. So so what I liked about that game is that it put... Something that you said that really encapsulated how I felt about it was that... So I'm going to steal it. Is that um, <laughs> it is it is a co-op where it's asymmetric in that one player is playing a, an entirely different role than the rest of the team. Right. Everybody else is working together doing the same job and they all have the same mechanical objective. And, and you're sitting over here going, you know, I'm here to lead you to something and it some of my favorite team games are also nonverbal communication because that can just get i mean magic maze was is is good for that um but this is more uh connotation if you if you ever loved you know art or writing and just when you say a word when you show a picture what does it make people think of that's this in a box is you know if i show people this this mouse with a sword and some floating keys (laughs) with wings like what is that going to make him think of? And how can I get it to mean typewriter? Like, <laughs> Yeah, well, it, it's that, that interpretive element that if you have that simpatico with uh, your friends where you're able to give them something and they actually pick up on it, it feels so incredibly good uh, to, to give some sort of abstract imagery and watch them puzzle out and, you know, figure out what that belongs to. Likewise, it's excruciating when you give them something and they totally pick the like most non-obvious <laughs> element of it. It's like, well, there are seven rings in this curtain rod and there are seven pens on the table here. So clearly they mean this and they're totally avoiding the giant rabbit that's on there and the like fur coat that's on a person. And you're like, how are you missing this? How have you zeroed in? Then the agony of being forced to hand people garbage cards that mean nothing. Right. And I would say that the mechanic of, of how you get your hand could be adjusted a little bit. And I do, you know, it does suffer from repeat plays in that like, if you get this card and it, it is so cleanly identifies with this one thing. Right. Well, if you draw it again in a future game and that one thing is something you need to identify, it becomes an easy, here you go. But then, like I said, just just get more cards, freshen it up, make sure you play with a mixed pool and, and maybe isolate certain groups of cards or whatever you got to do. It, it has a lot of legs to it. Trade out your group. Yeah, definitely. Mix it up and switch roles. But it's not going to be for everybody because not everybody can think abstractly or associate can make associations well it was definitely on my short list i i didn't end up picking it but it was one that i had strong consideration for i just want to interrupt what you were saying to go back to my honorable mentions because i have a whole piece of paper here for that uh, and just say hanabi if you like mysterium if you like the nonverbal communication collectively deducing things it's a little more mathy it's a little more pure deduction but it's kind of in the same vein, and I, I almost went with that, but I like the more interpretive version of the guesswork as opposed to, you know, counting cards. So Totally. There you go. Now, what, okay. what were you going on about that we had to cut just to get to? Okay, so now we are getting to the number two game on my list, which is Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion, specifically Jaws of the Lion. Why do I want a smaller box? I bought Gloomhaven because it is... More box than any man could could need. Exactly. That box is almost big enough that you could sleep in it as like a a backup bed, you know, when the in-laws are in town. But this game, I, I think, is the Gloomhaven that should have been the first Gloomhaven to come out. Now, you know, how that actually works out, you know, Gloomhaven was a massive success and it had a lot of mainstream uh, breakthrough appeal, surprising amount of breakthrough into the mainstream, into like video game groups and, you know, like all sorts of media and that kind of stuff really latched onto Gloomhaven. But like, I think 
it, it's a more polished experience uh, that there's a lot of smart things that happen in it that um, take care of a lot of the, the biggest criticisms for Gloomhaven. So the box itself has a, a smaller amount of missions. Um, it's slightly more linear uh, than Gloomhaven. Like you're not going to be in an open world where you can just chase down whatever rabbit hole you want to go down. It's more so following a, an overall uh, path, but it is going to have branching aspects and some side missions that come up. You have a map that's already set up in a book that is accompanied by the auxiliary uh, scenario book. You know, it goes off to the side, which which can give a different dimension than just having an opened spiral bound uh, notebook. And that's your map that you're playing on. You don't have to deal with tiles. So you're telling me that I don't need a clever system where I buy an entire file folder hanging deal. Exactly. And sort my hundred descent tiles five at a time. So that when it tells me to get tile 63, I can go five, 10, 15, Yeah. Okay. So it, I don't do that. Exactly. So how do you, how do you play a game that only takes five minutes to set up instead of, 30 minutes <laughs> well you play it by having a lot Do you of play fun. more of it <laughs> yeah exactly you okay. get it to the table more often and the people who are like i don't want to play a two and a half hour board game are suddenly going to be able to play this and get it done in an hour and a half maybe two hours for a longer mission and i i think it has the best elements of gloomhaven the system uh for playing cards is still there the top card bottom card i i did like the action selection and the the combat system was probably my favorite part about it right the four characters are extremely interesting and i think every bit if not uh even more uh mechanically and thematically interesting than the starting characters in base gloomhaven um, they're at least on par with the best of those characters um, and have a wide range of abilities. And by no means am I saying that like Gloomhaven itself isn't a fantastic game. It is, but I've gone back and played Gloomhaven since playing Jaws of the Lion, and I keep on going like, ah, man... That's right. I have to deal with all this. That's a like, lot to take out of the box. It, and even for me, which I really enjoyed Gloomhaven. It almost made my list if Descent hadn't beat it out a little bit. Right. So, like, what I want out of the future and what I'm kind of hoping from Frosthaven is that it's some compromise between the two. It's the accessibility of uh, Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion, which is just such a great package, a potent gaming package that you could recommend to someone. You could get it to them as a gift or something for Christmas and be like yo check this out and then if you like this then feel free to get all get of all this. of this and now you've had this brilliant tutorial you already have these characters that you can export out of the game you now have characters you can import into jaws of the lion and you have a much better handle on it than the incredibly intimidating experience of just approaching Gloomhaven and being well, like, I'm in over my head. Well, it's less than half the cost, right? So you have an entry-level exactly. purchase, too, that you don't have to drop 100 bucks for to, to know if you're going to get into this. Yeah, I'd like to see if some of the improvements made it into Frosthaven. So I, I guess we're at the point where uh, now, before we get to our number ones, as has become traditional, we have some Twitter hot takes. All right. So uh, fans of the Cardboard Herald. Right? People who had nothing better to do on that particular Saturday exactly, night. Right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. 
had some opinions here. Richard Malena Weber, who is a game designer and fellow podcaster. Panda Lakes 2 and Spirit Island are way, way up on my list. I've got to say that I've always had a great time with Legendary. Building your arsenal of superhero abilities to take down my favorite villains is a ton of fun. So we already covered Pandemic Legacy. I have a feeling that maybe this is hinting on something further on on the list. But what about Legendary? I know you have that game. I had that yeah. game um you know and maybe it's changed enough in the year so that game has been doing a lot for years now right you got aliens oh my god you got firefly i want to say he did a couple but i'm assuming he mentioned superheroes so i'm assuming he means the main line of marvel properties um which i, I started with when it first came out and i bought every expansion pretty much religiously up through when they did villains um and i just gotta say you know unless they've done something and that was back when i was hot for deck builders too Right. And deck builders were still, they were the new hotness and there was like five or ten coming out a year. And this one was one of the better ones and it had a lot of things I liked. It was a cooperative, it was confused about whether it was cooperative or semi-cooperative. I choose to think it was just fully cooperative. It was a Marvel game that had X-Men in it, which you don't Absolutely. see as much right now. Right, right. And we'll get to that, I think. Um but, but my thing about it is, is it's still a deck builder. It was limited by the fact that it, it was still this novel mechanic that at the end of the day is kind of a little bit tired now i think it's, it's just it's hashing and rehashing this engine building deck thinning mechanic now bobby pesto uh who not only posts all of their wonderful pizza uh things on twitter which you should check out at bobby pesto i feel like i'm on the take from bobby <laughs> pesto now i've said it so many times his name has lost all meaning pizza related uh, mobster though. yeah uh the girlfriend and i love spirit island and pandemic excited to try a flash pipe Point, flash pint. Flash pint is a very different thing. Maybe you could get it along with one of Bobby Pesto's delicious pizzas. Uh, Flashpoint soon and always looking for more. And then we have uh, Todd Kauk has Chronicles of Crime. And then DS said Fuji, which I thought were all worthy additions here. We did decide that the supercomputer, though, since I haven't played those, the supercomputer ruled them out, right? Oh, yeah. I I guess so. Returning uh, tweeter Matt Hollowell says, While I generally prefer competitive games... I have a special place in my heart for The Mind, a simple card game that allows players to both experience and perform a magic trick together. Nothing quite like it. What's your take on The Mind? That is a hot topic for me because I have had that debate. I don't even believe it's a game. I think it's a shared Uno experience. It's not... It's a push-your-luck-but-there's-other-people-sitting-there mechanic. I just... I don't know. It's like the the game in 99 did the same thing, basically. It was just, this is more people. And I just, I'm not seeing it. I'm sorry. I pick Hanabi any day of the week. If you want a game where it's like, oh God, I got to lay the right card and hope that my friends have, you know, uh, done their right cards correctly in the right order. And oh, I blew it for everyone. If you want that experience, just play Hanabi because you can actually deduce what's happening. You're not just guessing. The best part about Hanabi as compared to the mind is that Hanabi, you're playing with your hand facing outside. So that means you can see the cringy reactions your friends are having as you go to play the card that will ruin the game for them. Whereas the mind, they have no idea you're about to screw it up for them. Well, Saint Gaming, fellow reviewers, have uh, Spirit Island, another Spirit Island pick on here, and Eldritch Horror. It's almost like one of us is going to have to pick Spirit Island. Exactly. A great emergent narrative with so much variability from game to game, and it feels different every time we play. That's Eldritch Horror. 
and you know that was on my short list like that's a game that i love i played a lot of and i ended up listing journeys in middle earth kind of in lieu of it there's no way it beats journeys honestly journeys is a smoother i mean eldritch horror can abuse you bad and it's long right right that said i own a lot of it yeah <laughs> and i own arkham horror the, the previous edition i don't own third but i i did own arkham and then i traded up for eldritch and i was like i can't keep up with all the the trading so i'm keeping eldridge but i mean god how cool was that mechanic and i don't see too many like this um but i love it when i do how cool is it getting dealt a card that has a basic effect on the front like i'm poisoned or i'm whatever and then flipping it over to find out you know it could be one of 10 different things and the the nuance of like yeah i mean i've made a deal with the devil here and i get to find out what i actually owe when i flip this card over hopefully never but at some point in the future that was one of the coolest thematic uh, mechanics I've, I've ever played with in a game like that. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. And, and one of the best parts about it. And one of the things that could be expanded upon. Like, Actually, you know, you, you could, could just have more, more and more deck cards that are just different effects to add these little modular narrative pieces that are going to integrate into an overall theme. And I, I think that's the best thing that you can say about it in the end is that win or lose, you're going to have this great story. Well, uh, the, the last uh, response we had here is Mark the Thoughtful Gamer, another review channel. I'll put a uh, link to all these uh, people that I'm mentioning in the uh, video description, uh, like many other people where I asked, what is your favorite, singular favorite co-op game? He couldn't resist and listed several. So we have many of my favorites are co-op. Gloomhaven, Spirit Island, Mage Knight, and Space Alert are genuine masterpieces. I also love Forbidden Desert, The Crew, Robinson Crusoe, and Shipwreck Arcana, and Sprawlopolis are so fantastic. Oh, there are... Exhaustive. There are a lot of games in there. I think that's kind of bringing it back to the beginning where, like we were talking about. It's a broad it, category. It is a broad category, and a lot of people are really passionate about it because cooperative games are a great way of mitigating the aspect that newer gamers, uh, people who haven't played these games before, might feel like if I play a game and I lose, I look stupid, and I don't want that. And cooperative games empower us to say hey, we're in this together. It's okay, you know, I'm not working against you. It's not my immense amount of experience in playing these type of games that's going to be working against you. We're working together. I'm allowed to help you, and it's not just me kind of handicapping myself. This is me helping us reach some sort of victory. So we're on a team. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Just, you know, you know that I can still tell you're stupid, but I forgive <laughs> you because I can tell you what to do on your turn. And it's helping me still. <laughs> well, with that said, what is the number one game that you're going to tell me I'm stupid at? Um, uh, honestly, you're probably tired of hearing me talk about this. I think you just made me play it like two weeks ago and now I own everything. And I'm sitting there like refreshing Fantasy Flight's uh, website every day going like, give me more. Uh, Marvel Champions. It's so good. It, it is It is so good. There are so many things it probably doesn't do as well as other games. Um you know, uh, I've heard other reviews say that maybe it's not as thematic. You know, it doesn't tell as rich of a story. Say, like, even Arkham Horror. Why mm -hmm. do I like it better than that? Well, it's a little more consistent sometimes than Arkham. But it does what I was talking about. It evolved its... Um, what, what I've talked about for the last two weeks now. It evolved Fantasy Flight's model of LCG and said, you know, I, I know that this is one of, like, a hundred games on your shelf. Please, you know, don't build a deck. Just take it out of the box and play it. Right. And that will get it played. I mean, I must have played it 15 times. That is probably more than I play most of the games in my collection in a year. And I've played that much in two or three weeks now. Um, 
So I like that you can adjust and you can tweak and you can deck build if you want to modify a little here and there, but it feels pretty playable uh, just right out of the box, including the supplemental uh, materials. I got to give a nod to, and, 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 and I think it owes some of this. Somebody out there is like, didn't I design this game already and call it Sentinels of the something verse? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Other than some of the specific mechanics, it's basically the spiritual implementation of Sentinels. It's I'm going to pick a hero. The hero has a custom deck to a point and that's unique to that hero and i'm gonna fight a villain and that villain's automatedly going to screw with us and um and it took all of that and it just boiled it down to the best parts of that and every time i play one of the new sets you know the wrecking crew there's four villains on sentinels did that too it, none of it did sentinels do quite as well and, and it's playing with action figures i mean i i know both of us are big marvel comics guys we were into them when we were kids and you know whether it's the the cartoons or whatever like this is a way of you know living your childhood except even cooler because you get to actually see what they're they're doing through the cards and you know like oh wasn't it so cool and black panther did this awesome thing or you know when you know miss marvel came in and just wrecked face against this villain and it, it's so accessible uh, i i think that it scales incredibly well for like solo like if anyone was like i don't like solo games because i don't like all the management associated with it i would say well this is one you might like because it scales perfectly well for solo games yeah you might not have the team aspect but i i think this is a great entry point for that the uh cards just being able to mash together out of the box like i'm going to take my leadership cards and i'm going to take this hero and mash them together it's what i liked about sorcerer and smash up and some of those other types of games is there's an appeal there and i always want it to be a, an even better game and and this is a better game in a lot of ways is that i, I like just taking it out of the box and saying i don't have to pick and choose and set up i can just go boom i want claw you know whoever claw is okay there's my one complaint <laughs> better villains who are these villains in the first box i get rhino great the entry level choice because if if you're a beginner superhero and can't beat rhino right then you're right. not trying but who the heck is claw with the sound gun i'm a nerd and i don't know that one right ultron could oh. have been a better pick like i i think there there's first picks that you go to before ultron and and yeah thematic i mean even just the powers of like thor's alter ego can like snap his hand out and boom his hammer's back Done. right and it's a simple mechanic and it's not game break or anything but it's just cool to be like okay you know i'm gonna go ahead and do my action for the turn got my hammer back well i think that a lot of the reasons why i love marvel champions are a lot of the reasons why i love my number one and marvel champions was seriously a contender on my list and i think that my number one was a contender on yours i think we, we just let each other have the other exactly. number one because it helped us get a sixth game in our the list. computer demanded a 10 <laughs> right? it demanded 10 and so that way there could not be overlap um and with marvel champions you know like uh, it's hard for me to let go of the lord of the rings lcg and say like marvel champions is definitively better but it's more accessible i'm going to get it to the table way more often same with arkham i love that game it is hugely thematic and i probably would play it over eldritch horror but the deck building aspect unless i'm going to build the decks to set them aside for my players to join me i my wife will play marvel champions several times a week and she i'm not going to get her to sit down and build a deck for her investigator right. so my number one like i was saying it, it shares a lot of those elements and that's spirit island i think i i have 
said throughout various videos on this channel and various podcasts, just all sorts of avenues that the thing that Spirit Island does for me is it has this thematic resonance throughout all the mechanics of it. Like it, it does such a great job at conveying what's thematically happening through very simple mechanical elements, you know, pushing something here or pulling things from there. Uh, it, it does enough in the representations in specifically how those things are manipulated or the artwork that's presented or the elements that are generated or the elements that you consume in order to do it to give a very distinct picture of what this is supposed to represent. This stampeding wildlife or this raging fire or this ominous shadow that's casting over the island. And it has these incredible asymmetric powers that give just this, this variety to the game that I love. I want to dive in and see how I want to play each of the spirits and the very different strategies they can have and how they pair together. Like, that is a huge part of the fun to get me is, you know, like, what spirit are you playing? And my spirit feels completely different to that. How are we going to unify in order to kick all these invaders off the island? Right, like how are you? How is the ocean going to pair with the 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 beast guy? You know, what are you going to do while I'm over here just attacking the shoreline? You're going to have to adapt your whole play style to accommodate the fact that your partner really can't do much inland. Right, it's, right. So it's it's a different game based on who you play with, not just who you're playing. Right. Uh, and like Marvel Champions, I think that it's a great solo game because it scales. You can play it one uh, spirit or you could play it multiple spirits, multi-handed. I don't like doing that uh, because I don't like... It's a lot of management. The, that is a huge amount of management. Uh, but it, it's still a way you can test and play around with the spirits and see their full capabilities on their own. I like that there's different avenues for victory conditions, either through draining uh, the, the fear to the point where terror makes the the, uh, the the invaders run away or you can completely destroy them at different levels like you could have devastating output at the beginning or you can kind of get them a little scared and then just <laughs> devastate them a little bit less than you needed to initially. I feel just a little devastated exactly um, and the, the things that I like about board games, having big, sprawling board games with lots of pieces and components everywhere and like cards to interact with and systems, it has all that. But overall, the structure is kind of this like clockworking structure that, that's fairly predictable. And, and I, I, I love that it's elegantly implemented to be this playground of devastation well and let's okay so so we didn't waste nearly as much time debating what the, the category meant because it's pretty straightforward so let's waste a little time here and saying a couple <laughs> of things that i actually like about spirit island that maybe for people who don't like co-ops as much because you may be more a competitive player i like spirit island because i get to wreck people because I'm yeah. destroying the armies of my enemies, and we're collectively doing it. I like being the Hungry Ocean, and I like seeing the board start to fill up with all these invaders and just being like, nope, nope, nope. Um, the wildfire, you know, obviously I like the destructive ones because right. I'm all about, let's, let's, no, no such thing as a little devastation. Right. No such thing as a little fear. We're shock and awe here, <laughs> spirit style. So... That, to me, is something that makes it almost an aggressive co-op game where I can still feel like I'm beating someone. Because, again, I think I said at the beginning is I want to feel like I'm competing against the game. Champions does it with, a you know, I'm competing against a villain. Uh, Spirit Island, I've got this invading army. And even though I'm not actually manning an army, I'm still, uh, uh, you know, defending my territory. 
Um, so a lot of my favorite co-op games really do still give me a competitive feeling. When I hear the term strategy game, I think of a very particular thing, and it is competitive. Spirit Island is one of the few cooperative games that kind of delivers on the, the same, I guess, way of thinking uh, it's that kind of I approach. great build-up, too, is co-op games don't often have... Legendary came up as, you know, okay, so a deck builder's got some build-up because you actually right, right. are purchasing... Um, and so there's escalation to it, but um, and some of those adventure games, you know, you pick up gear and stuff. But this has a nice strategic buildup of, you know, I'm investing in these things, I'm building up my, and, and each one builds up differently. But that as you get to that late game and you are just devastating whole regions, we're going to have to go back and see whether we said Bobby Pesto or <laughs> Devastation more throughout the, <laughs> the entirety of this. But I think that is a great way of ending it. This has been. 10 irrefutable concrete the greatest cooperative games of all time this cannot change even future cooperative games to come out cannot challenge any of the ones on this list i chiseled mine in stone exactly but then also i as we were talking remembered that i like pathfinder the adventure card game so there's actually 11 i'm sorry okay well we'll add that to the stone tablet when yeah. moses comes down it's like he's in someone else's handwriting yeah. it's like wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute you you chiseled this after. Well, as always, I'm sure that there are plenty of people out there who think that we're absolutely right and a couple of people us. who may disagree. So let us know if that's the case and let us know what topic you want us to cover next in this long-winded, uh, <laughs> extremely equivocating uh, <laughs> list of games uh, for Casual Friday. So once again, thanks for coming on the show, John. Yeah, thanks for having me.